Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spees, and we are continuing in our series of podcasts dealing with current topics and events that are shaping our society, the world of education, and the local church. Today, I'm here once again with the voice of the DCC Leadership Podcast, Mr. Mark Worley. Hey, Mark. Hey, Scott. How are we doing today? Good. Good Good to be here with you. Joining us as well is the head of DCC's Worship Arts Department, Dr. Corey Allen. Hello, Dr. Allen. Hello, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Well, this is your second podcast with us, and uh, back in December, you recorded a podcast focused on the Christian church calendar and the season of Advent, and we thought it would be good to have Dr. Allen back to share with us this week as we begin the season of Lent with the observance of Ash Wednesday this coming Wednesday, February 17th. So, Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you begin our discussion with Dr. Allen. Yeah, thanks, Scott, and welcome back, Dr. Allen. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Well, it was really interesting last time talking about the different calendar events and things like that. And so a lot of us, uh, you know, have maybe even grown up in the church, but we just didn't know some of the seasons. And now we're heading into, I guess, what what is called the season of Lent. Mm-hmm. So how did that become a common Christian practice? Okay, well... It, unlike uh, the emergence of Easter and Christmas, which, you know, are pretty standard Christian practices by the 3rd century A.D., Lent takes a long while to come to a boil. It, it takes almost to the 5th century A.D. before we actually see Lent being a widespread practice. As best we can tell, there's the what is called the triduum or the great three days, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, and that those are pretty much the core components of the Easter service. Part of the reason the Lenten service gets uh, or becomes this 40-day thing and it happens over time is that it became a very common Christian practice to have the biggest baptismal day of the year on Easter Sunday morning. And one of the things that we find in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus says that certain demons only go out by prayer and by fasting. And so because the baptismal service was seen as like this most important decision these Christians are going to make and was often accompanied by both training in the scriptures as well as a service of exorcism, the church began praying for that exorcism process for the 40 days leading up to it. And so part of the reason for that is that Jesus says, you know, certain demons only go out by prayer and fasting. And so the church had a prayer and fasting season leading up to their biggest baptismal day of the year. Yeah, I guess uh, it's interesting to see the evolution of, of different uh, doctrinal views and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so when you're talking about uh, this process, uh, Lent, are, are you talking about? Is it primarily you, when you're saying the church? You're saying church as a whole, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, are these practices kind of known in certain different denominational churches? Most of the churches that will uh, routinely observe Lent are, again, your high church, uh, your high churches, your Anglicans, your Catholics, your Eastern Orthodox, uh, some of your Presbyterian groups. Uh, those are your main uh, people that are going to do this on a yearly basis. Uh, a lot of free church uh, movements uh, have 
for various reasons, kind of balked at the idea of having Lenten practice. One is just to be distinctive from these other high church groups. And the other is because Jesus does give quite a number of warnings, like, say, in Matthew 6, about fasting to be seen. And one of the biggest uh, complaints that a lot of evangelicals will have is that the Ash Wednesday service is, you know, you put a a large dark mark literally on your forehead. It says, yes, I am taking part in this fasting process. Some evangelicals have kind of balked at the idea of, do we really want to be making this much of a show that we are fasting? Yeah, interesting stuff uh, about fasting. But let's go back to the the mark on the forehead just for a second. So... uh, how did that come about? And okay, how did the mark on the forehead come about? In many uh, in many Old Testament cases, like for example, Job chapter two, when we see a person entering into a period of mourning and fasting and prayer, they will frequently put on sackcloth this like dark black lambs or wool that will cover them. But then they will also cover themselves with ashes. This idea of reminding, as uh, God says at the beginning of uh, Genesis uh, 3, where he says to Adam, you were created from dust, back to dust you will go. And frequently when ashes are imposed in a Lenten service, there is a reminder, you you were created from ashes, you are returning to ashes. Remember that the stuff that you are made of, at least is temporary without God sustaining you. So, so it's in essence, it's kind of a time of mourning before Resurrection Sunday. In many ways, as uh, as uh, Christ responds to the disciples of John throughout the Synoptic Gospels, they say, "Why aren't your disciples fasting?" And Jesus says, "Well, they can't be fasting while the bridegroom is with them, but." When the bridegroom is taken, then they will fast. And so many Christians have seen that as with Christ being ascended on ascended on high uh, at the right hand of God, that we are patiently waiting his return and that it is now a season of Christian fasting that is permissible. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about this fasting. Okay. Because I think this is kind of a, I mean, uh, Americans, it's like uh, I don't, I don't get into this fasting. I, I, I get into the feasting of, of Thanksgiving. So <laughs> understood. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, the words for fasting are very interesting. The Hebrew word is ana, which actually has very little to do with uh, eating per se. The word ana just simply means to afflict oneself. And it is used primarily when somebody is going into some kind of a prayer season, whether that's for the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, or like when Daniel is praying for the restoration of the temple in Daniel 9, they will afflict themselves. And one of the the translations of that is in the Greek Septuagint, they will translate that as the word nestuo, which is literally not eat. And so the um, and so the interpretation of what does it mean to afflict oneself is tied with this Greek term, lack of eating or a forbearance of eating. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I think back of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say if you fast; he says, he says when, when you fast. When you fast. Mm-hmm. So that's expected. Yes. And if I may even make an addition to that, in the original Greek, it's not just when you fast, it's when y'all fast. It's a second person plural. It's 
an expectation that it isn't just simply you as an individual fast. It is a message to the church. When you all get into fasting, do it like this. Yeah, it's not a big thing here in the United States. So, But, but I think it's interesting when you say it, mm-hmm. Jesus is not saying if, it's assumed that it's you assumed. will. And as one of my uh, friends, uh, Tyler Forehand, uh, had recently taught at my home church, he said, uh, most cultures do have a fasting protocol, whether they're Christian or not. It's actually rather odd that America is one of the few kind of cultures that has in some ways become so materialized that it becomes almost anathema to who we are to refrain. <laughs> okay, so so to, to make it... Uh uh, I guess easier to understand for those of uh, those who are listening. So fasting is that simply uh, abstaining from food and water? Okay, uh, the Bible notes several different types of fast. There is the what can often be called the occasional fast or the targeted fast, where someone is specifically refraining from a specific type of thing. For example, in Daniel uh, chapter 1, he specifically refrains from eating meat, and specifically the meat from the king's table. He, But he has a vegetable diet. He has a uh, water and presumably other drink diet. That's the most we'll call it simple type of fast because you're just abstaining from a specific type of thing. The second type of fast is what is often known as a water or liquid diet. And frequently this will be where someone will drink water, drink juices, or other things that will have a certain amount of calories to them. Um, Most health professionals that I've talked to on this will say a person can do a water or juice fast and can usually prolong it for more than a week without too many ill effects. But that is keeping a lot of solid food out of the diet. Uh, We do see on occasion the total fast, no water, no food. Uh, And from a from a uh, perspective of just, you know, God working in the world, Jesus will, of course, do this when he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Yeah, I was just going to talk about that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Allen. Uh, he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. Now, is that without food and water? That, as best we can tell from the descriptions, it does seem to be that there is a lack of food and water in Jesus's diet, which has raised all kinds of questions. Is Jesus in some way doing something kind of miraculous? Is this something that we could do? Uh, many of the uh, people that I have talked to that are dietitians will usually say something to the effect of they strongly discourage taking a total fast anywhere near those numbers. Usually they'll say 48 hours for a water, a water and food fast is the max you would want to go with that. Uh, there are certainly health issues that come up with that, and many of the early church fathers, like John Chrysostom, permanently damaged their digestive system by fasting in such a way. And so, without the Holy Spirit specifically saying, this is what you should be doing, <laughs> and giving you the his spiritual fortitude to do so, I would say a total food, total water fast is probably ill-advised more than a two-day period. And certainly not for the whole Linden period. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> why fast? Why fasting? Okay. A, 
Unfortunately, the scripture doesn't have like, you know, like there isn't like the book of third Peter where it's going to say, if you fast, you'll get this, 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 and this. Yeah. But we can draw certain inferences for what are the occasions that provoke fasting in certain people. So Leviticus 16, we specifically see fasting as associated with the day of atonement. And so anytime we have a moment of repentance, anytime we have basically this, this time of saying, God, I need you to change who I am at this fundamental level, that is one reason for fasting. The second reason we see in Daniel chapter 9 is for uh, intercession. And so as Daniel is praying for the restoration of the temple, he is fasting over this event. Now, a third uh, we find in in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus has the statement where he said, when you fast, and he does this as a matter of personal piety. You don't do it to show the world. And he specifically says, God will reward what you've done in secret. And so it will have basically, we don't necessarily know what that reward is, but God is noticing. God is watching. God is appreciative of this act when done in secret. Mark uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 28, has Jesus talking about fasting is connected with exorcism, specifically of spirits. And in Acts 13, we see the prayer for, uh, for Paul and Barnabas before they are ordained and sent out on their mission. And so if I had to summarize those five up really quick, fasting is a... Uh, prayer component in atonement prayers. It's a prayer component in intercessory prayers. It's a prayer component in your personal walk. It's a prayer component when doing spiritual warfare. And it's a prayer component when you are preparing for ordination. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, You know, before I fully understood what fasting was about, you know, uh, I fasted before and it was usually okay I, i've got to deal with a sin and those are usually longer fasts uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, really for me long fast and uh, you, you know the other part is it's interesting i was praying for a person who had cancer and, and i was asking god to heal them mm. and uh i i was pr- i was fasting and praying for accountability but but uh for for a situation like lent mm-hmm. It just seems like, okay, um, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? There seems to be a need for a purpose. Okay. Uh, here's probably one of the easier purposes that I can give. And again, there's many, there's many theologies of Lent that you can find in various places. But here's the one that I prefer. Date night for fasting. When most you know married couples or couples that have been together for a, a long while— if you don't plan for certain things like date night, they don't happen spare of the moment. And fasting being something that, let's be honest, in and of itself is not meant to be enjoyable. It is meant to refrain from doing things that you like and appreciate, like food. And so often I find when people are talking about their spiritual disciplines, they'll be like, yeah, I'll fast, I'll I'll get around to it. (laughs) And eventually the, okay, so when you fast becomes, all right, if you get to it, if, if at all. And so one of the points for Lent is it's a yearly mark on the calendar to say, are we going to be people that fast as Jesus had just taken for granted that we would be? 
So, so uh, you know, we, we teach fasting as a discipline here. I think mm-hmm. R- Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline, incredible book. And Absolutely. I mean, I, I ran across that after, you know, <laughs> I I'd practiced fasting because I came across when you fast. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's different times when you're called to fasting. And I think there's a lot of Christians who don't know really about fasting and what it does mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> the benefits, frankly, of, of fasting, the the uh, I think w- the accomplishing or mm-hmm. the you know what 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 does this do? And uh, for for me, fasting is asking God uh, deeper types mm-hmm. of things. And so we had a student one time that says I I didn't do the assignment. We asked them to fast for a day, so I didn't do the assignment because I didn't feel called to a fast. Mm. So. Lent, are you called for to a fast? Okay, here's my assessment to that. I I think that there is a benefit for saying the church is going to do a fast. There is also a sense that anytime we do a spiritual discipline, there's also got to be an expectation that because spiritual disciplines are made to grow us, they're made that we want you to be involved in these things. But because we understand you're frail, we also understand you're going to fail. <laughs> There's going to be a certain expectation of, can we do better? Can we help you do this? But at the same time, you're not going to be seriously punished if you don't. God is not going to love you less because, oh, there was steak on the, <laughs> on the menu today. Yeah. Um, and so with that in mind, one of the, one of the positive ways that I found to, to look at that is that there are really two main types of commandments we find in the Bible. There's these thou shalt nots, and then there's these glorious thou mayest. Like, for example, <laughs> my favorite thou mayest commandment is, uh, is uh, is that they will you will know the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another mm-hmm. and this new commandment I give you love one another. It's essentially saying thou may love, and you may love to your heart's content. When Jesus has the when you fast, he doesn't give a time constriction constriction on it. He doesn't specifically say here's how how to do it like no food this day no water this day he just says when you do it i assume that this means a thou mayest you are permitted to do so and that the church because they realize that you are permitted is there to help you in that process wherever you are in that and so for a lot of people wanting to explore lent for the first time one of the things that i suggest is don't go thinking you're gonna just not eat food (laughs) six days a week uh, instead, just have this mentality of, I would like to give up something, and I assume that based on these things, that when I pray for prayers of atonement, prayers of intercession, that this will in some way, shape, or form help to shape those prayers in a better way. So so if someone was wanting to check out fasting for mm-hmm. the first time, maybe maybe they are called to it, or maybe at Lent they're, they're motivated to do that. So... Uh, what what would you suggest? I mean, I, I talked about Richard Foster's yes. book, Celebration of Discipline. Are there any other practical things that they could take a look at? Okay. Uh, Scott McKnight recently did a book on fasting that I highly recommend. Uh, also, uh, if you want, uh, some of the best writing on fasting is actually very, very ancient. The One of the, one of the, uh, 
let's see, uh, that would be uh, uh, St. John Crossan would be one, uh, one potential uh, person. Uh, also, uh, if you want to specifically look at fasting uh, from a point of view of like an earlier church father, uh, St. Basil of Caesarea is also another very ancient source, just talking about not just the practical aspects, but what they've gotten from it. As I had said, the scripture doesn't have that that specific scripture where it says, if you do fasting, you will get X. And because of that, it's often helpful for Christians to just read, okay, here's someone who did fast, and here's what they said they got out of it. It can help to not necessarily scripturally form us, but it can help to give guideposts on what to expect. Yeah, I know when when uh, I kind of stumbled along in fasting, but uh fasting seemed to be a, a, I benefited a, a great deal. I mm-hmm. mean, God uh you know, I pray fast and pray for 3 days that God would show me an accountability partner. Mm. And he did, who that accountability partner mm-hmm. saved my life, you know, Amen. for 18 years and uh, just pretty amazing. Uh, I think a part of it is it, sometimes we become legalistic. We do about it, and it's really uh, seeking our Father. Mm-hmm. Now, in that same passage that we just talked about, when you fast, mm-hmm. um, and he says, "Do it in private." But does that mean that we lie to people when they say, <laughs> "Hey, come and eat," and uh, we go, "No, I'm just uh, I'm not hungry today." Liar! You're a liar. <laughs> I usually put that into two categories. Number number one, we want to avoid specifically the fasting for the hey, look at me potential. Right. We want to specifically avoid where we say, I am somehow spiritually better than my peers or than you, whoever you might be, because we're because I'm fasting. That is the thing that ultimately we want to avoid. And I think that this is one of the reasons why it is acceptable within the church circles, if the church is agreeing to fast, that we are okay with the idea of saying, let the church help you in this fast because we're all doing something together. Yeah, I, I, I know uh, when when I fasted and you know, somebody said, hey, uh, you want to go eat? I'm like, no, I, you know, instead of lying, I just said, no, I'm fasting. <laughs> And it was awesome because they said, "Hey, could I pray with you?" Mm-hmm. And man, it just it just bound us together. Mm-hmm. Um, man, interesting stuff, Doctor Allen. Interesting stuff, and uh, I'm sure there's more about spiritual disciplines. There's more about mm-hmm. um, Lent. Yes. And uh, the books I would recommend, since I seem to be doing a book club every time I do this, if you want to read more about Lent, I particularly uh, recommend a book called The Origins of Feasts and Fasts and Seasons in Early Christianity by Paul Bradshaw and Maxwell Johnson. Also, uh, Martin uh, Connell's Eternity Today is an excellent series on that. And of course, we all, we've all we been mentioning Richard Foster's classic book, it's Celebration classic. of Dis- Discipline, yeah. Yeah. has an entire chapter on fasting if you just want to get to the nuts and bolts of what really makes fasting work. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And uh, I will share just what I did uh, when we talked about this in December. Uh, it was uh, several years ago when I went through the entire 
process of Ash Wednesday, Lent, celebrating Holy Week in ways that, that I had never done before in a very intentional manner, just as you were talking about, Corey. And it, it was just very transformational in my life in terms of understanding and really preparing for the significance of Easter. So this week, as you uh, have the opportunity to begin whatever that looks like for you, Uh, I hope that you'll do that and and let God speak to you. You know, if you are interested in studying worship arts with Dr. Allen and some of our other excellent faculty here at DCC, you can check out our degree programs at www.dallas.edu. I do want to mention that uh, the college is offering some really robust honor scholarships right now. Uh, as much as $15,000 a year to new incoming traditional students, recognizing them for their academic achievement, service in the church, Christ-like character, and commitment to fulfilling the mission of DCC, which is educating and mentoring students to be people of influence, engaging in their calling to the work of Christ in the church and in the world. And part of that work in the church and in the world is what we talked about today, that process of growing as a disciple. So thank you, Corey, for sharing with us. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Again, we pray that everyone is staying safe, that you're healthy, that you keep looking up. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Dallas Christian College's Leadership Podcast.